to hear those dominoes fall. But more importantly, I, I love to hear the dominoes falling in our lives. Just hearing many of you talk over the last few weeks uh, about what we're doing to change some small things to lead to some big things. If you're new with us today or hadn't been with us the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Habits. Small changes, big results. A couple of weeks ago, we were all challenged to give something up in order to replace it with something spiritual to prepare our hearts for Easter. And I've heard from people everywhere from saying, I'm, I'm giving up lunch to spend time in the Word. I, I love the sister who said, I'm giving up negative thinking to talk about and think about the family of God. Another brother, giving up television to focus on the family. Giving up use of my phone to focus on prayer and peacefulness. And then uh, my brother Doug Smith, who's here with us this morning, has given up listening to heavy metal on the way to work in order to listen to the Word of God. What a great move. You see, it's those small changes that can lead to, to really big results. And then last week, we, we ended up with, with two specific challenges. Knees before feet and Bible before your phone, Right? Knees before feet, Bible before phone. Now, I have heard quite a bit of discussion about knees before feet. And how is that possible? Okay? Anybody struggle with that? Well, let me tell you how you do it. You hold on to the cover. All right? Or you grab your spout. Well, that didn't work. I mean, you hold on. This is what I'm so thankful for. I never knew you took my word so literally till last week. All right? Just somehow. Don't get legalistic about it. If you've got to touch your feet, it's okay. But get on your knees. And today we're going to talk about a habit that can be life-changing that so many of us don't practice much. Uh, Listen to the 19th Psalm. We're going to begin there in verse 1. It's a beautiful psalm. C.S. Lewis says, this is the most beautiful psalm in the Bible. Listen to verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day... They pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circus to the other, circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Here's our first point. God speaks through creation. We're going to be looking at the way God speaks to us today. And the, the, the first and most important challenge here is that God speaks to us through his creation. That, that word there, that the speech pours forth, literally means that the heavens gush with knowledge of God. It's ironic, almost contradictory of what the psalmist is saying here. He speaks without words. And yet every one of us has been in the middle of a beautiful place in nature where we felt the words of God. He's not talking about pantheism here. He's not talking about nature is God. What he is saying is nature reveals God. I love a couple of lines from the message translation. Madam Day holds classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures every evening. You see, this is exciting. 
When I step out in nature and I have this communication with God, I would say to you today, experiencing God in nature is unlike almost any other experience you can have. In fact, listen to this translation of these words of how exciting it is. The morning sun is like a new husband leaping from his honeymoon bed. The daybreak sun is like an athlete running to the tape. That's what's so beautiful about the heavens declaring the glory of God. There are three important points here I want to make. And don't get worried as you're taking your outline today that, um, you know, we've got a lot of blanks to follow. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time on these first blanks, okay? So don't get scared about how long we're going to go. Let me me give you three important points about creation here. First of all, creation reveals God's existence. How many times have we been out in the beauty of nature and we've said to ourselves or to the person beside us, how could anybody ever say there is no God in view of this? You know, when David looks up, he doesn't have a telescope like us. Just recently, the... European Space Agency got back from a trip around the Milky Way. They counted 1.7 billion stars. They measured the sun as 864,410 miles wide compared to the little bitty Earth, which is 8,000 miles wide. No wonder we will sing in a few minutes how great thou art. As we sing that song, we talk about the power of God. When I, in awesome wonder, consider all the things thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the morning wonder, and I proclaim how great thou art. You see, one of the reasons that we know that God exists is that we stand in the middle of this amazing power to create, and we can't even get to the end of it yet. And we go, it had to take something extremely powerful. It reveals the existence of God because when we look at this creation, we see intricate design. One of the oldest illustrations around is of the watch. That No one would look at a watch like this and think there was just a bomb that went off in a factory and all of a sudden laying on the outskirts was this watch with such intricate design that works in such a way that it keeps almost perfect time. Nobody would dare say that that just happened. There was just an accident. And yet there are intelligent people who believe that everything we see in nature just somehow happened. It's sort of far-fetched. In fact, many scientists today will make the argument that the earth is fine-tuned for man to live on it. That the atmosphere is just perfect, the gravity is just perfect. Everything was made perfect for us. You see, we couldn't function without that. One of the most exciting days of my life, a long time ago, was July the 20th, 1969. Anybody guess what that was? That was the day that man walked on the moon. And I can remember staying up late watching that grainy TV as Neil Armstrong took those first, line, first, first steps. Because listen to me, the only reason we could do that is because we know there is design and there's order and there's reliability in the way that nature works. There's no way we could have got out of the gravitational pull of the earth to the gravitational pull of the moon and did it at just the right second where everything would work 
unless we knew there was a law of order that the earth is something created with great design it allows us to do great things how powerful is this this evidence listen to me listen closely paul's gonna say if you look up and you see all this and you think it came from nowhere you have no excuse i mean listen to romans chapter 1 verse 20 with me listen closely For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, we just talked about that, and divine nature have clearly been seen. Go to the next line. Being understood from what has been made so that people are, say these last two words with me, without excuse. Wow. Paul believes the evidence is overwhelming that there is a God. There's an incredible book that was written um, a few years ago called Eternity in Their Hearts. It was written by a missionary called Don Richardson. And he had recorded all these missionaries who had gone to these remote tribes where when they had gotten there, the tribes were sitting on ready to hear about a Savior. Because as the psalm says, without words, without human communication, creation had communicated to them, there is a God. And they sat in anticipation, tribe after tribe, expecting that someone would come and tell them the rest of the story. Why? Because the evidence was so overwhelming. I was reading about a a lady, she's a... um, astrophysicist at the University of Texas. She grew up in an atheist family, militant atheist. Her, her name is Sarah Salvador. She um, had only met three Christians by the time she was 25 years old. And her opinion of Christians was terrible until when she was working on her doctorate degree and she was researching the Big Bang Theory. She, she interacted with a Christian professor who, first of all, just simply his life was attracted to her. But second, she finally saw a brilliant man who believed in God, in his existence. Listen to what she wrote about her conversion to Jesus. I started, she says, to sense an underlying order to the universe. Without knowing it, I was awakening to what Psalms 19 tells us clearly. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. That's creation reveals God's existence. But it also reveals God's artistry. It's not only beautiful for its design, it is simply beautiful in its makeup. God is an artist without peer. A high percentage of our art is simply trying to replicate the beauty of the nature that God already created. And think about how far God went. God could have created the world without color. We could have looked through black and white. But God created an amazing color. We've all experienced the beauty of what God has created. When you're up at the lake and the sunrise comes up and you see the the beautiful lake without a ripple on it. Or you're in the mountains, surrounded by mountains, and you see the sunrise or the sunset right behind those mountains. Or you're down at the beach and you see the beauty of the white sand against the blue water lapping against the baby blue sky. And you think, wow, there's a God. Or right now as you walk out and you see the spring flowers and the azaleas and the dogwoods beginning to bloom. 
Or you wake up in the morning and you see the green grass glistening with dew. You say, my goodness, God is an artist without peer. Creation also declares God's glory. That's the theme of this psalm. It declares the glory of God. You say, what is the glory of God? A word we might use is it's, it's, it's the greatness of God. But the, the, the literal meaning of glory, stay with me for a second here. The literal meaning of glory is weight. That God's presence is weighty. We understand this to a point. We often say, let's give special weight to this. What are we saying? Special, significant, special importance. And my friends, when you step in nature, you ever been just a beautiful place, you know? Maybe, maybe you were blessed to visit the Grand Canyon. Or you're blessed to visit some gorgeous place and you stand in the middle of it in the full weight, bigness of God's presence begins to weigh down on you. That's what the psalmist is saying. When you contemplate God in nature, you recognize his greatness. It's heavy. It's not light. It's overwhelming. You've been there. It's overwhelming. You think about your little bitty size and you think about the smallness of the earth and you think about the vastness of all creation and you think... There's something about standing in nature that reveals the splendor and the glory of, and the wonder of God. And then look at the next point here as we continue through Psalms 19. Take up with me in verse 7. Because this, this, this chapter is about God revealing himself. Now he's going to tell us that God reveals himself through scripture. Listen to these words. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statue of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Wow, what a beautiful idea here. God reveals himself through scripture pretty interesting here in our first section verses one through six the word for God there is the Hebrew word El which is the creator God but it's the generic word for God when we get to these verses following verse seven the word for God revealed in scripture is Yahweh it's the personal God God reveals himself closer and closer clearer and clearer and he says listen to all these words to us they don't sound that inviting right God reveals himself through laws and precepts and statutes and commands and decrees. It's like the father who says, I want to instruct you on how to do this, but I also want to take the time to tell you why you ought to do this. And God does that. And as you look at all those decrees and laws, you see, we read this and we think, oh my goodness, how could you feel that way about laws and decrees and statutes? I mean, David, you don't even understand the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet David would say to us, it's those laws that reveal the likes and dislikes and the character of Almighty God, that we stand in awe of what he has said. And that's why 
David can say, these laws and statutes and precepts and commands refresh us. They make us wise. They give us joy. They are light. They're sweet to taste. Brought a revelation we have in Scripture. And then one more point here. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 with me just for a second. Once you're turning your Bible to there. The clearest way that God reveals himself is found here in Hebrews chapter 1. Turn there in your Bible or in your phone. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. 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 And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. My friends, as God continues to reveal himself, he most clearly reveals himself through Jesus Christ. He grows closer and closer to us. He becomes clearer and clearer through creation, through scripture, and now through the complete revelation of himself. My friends, if you're walking down a street in the first century and Jesus is across the street, you could nudge your friend and say, you know who's walking over there? Can you believe we're seeing him? Maybe we ought to change sides of the street. There walks God. In fact, if you ever get confused about what God is like, Jesus, Scripture says, listen closely, he's the exact representation of God. That's why Jesus said to people, if you've seen me, guess what? You've seen the Father. Remember an old preacher told me years ago, if anything you believe does not survive through the filter of Jesus, you better look back at what you believe and question it. Why? Because everything should be looked through the clearest representation of God, which is Jesus. There's God. So here's what I want you to see quickly this morning. There's a trail of revelation here. From creation to Scripture to Jesus. Here's, here's what we got to get. God really, really, really wants you to know him. Have, have you ever said to somebody, I'd really like to get to know you better? That's quite a compliment. But God reverses it to us his rebellious creation and says, I'd really, really, really like you to know me better. My friends, God wants more than just to be God to you. He wants more than just you to come to church. He wants more from you than just obeying the precepts and commands. That's awesome. God wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. And nowhere is that more evident than when Jesus comes to the cross. And Jesus stretches his arm out. And Jesus splits his heart wide open and says, if you want to understand the heart of God, look at me. You see, on the cross, it's where... I understand the ugliness of sin. It was sin that put Jesus, our Lord, our perfect Lord on that cross. But it's also on the cross that I clearly understand beyond dispute the love of God. 
So today we're about to take communion together. I hope you've got your supplies. If not, you can get up in a second and get them. But here's the question I'd like you to contemplate during communion today. What does the cross reveal about God? I mean, we focus right now on the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. What does this tell about God? What does it tell about how far he's willing to go to pursue a relationship with you? What does it tell you about what he was willing to go through? What does it tell you about in this crazy world we live in, how much he loves you? What else could he do? Now, before I pray and before we partake, I want you to listen to what I think are are two cosmic headlines while Jesus was on the cross. And just think about what they say. Creation murders the creator. Just think about that for a second. After all the beauty and all the intricacy and all the communication, creation murders the creator. But before you partake, I want you to think about this. The creator gives his life up for the creation. God is wanting to restore all things. And you and on the earth. And the creator has given his life up even though we spit in his face and put nails in his arms and murdered him, he loved enough to get past that to die for you. Let's pray together. God, God, we thank you that you have communicated so clear to us through nature and through scripture and through Jesus. And Lord, as we come to the apex of that story, Jesus, your son, dying on a cross in our place, Father, reveal to us during these moments, what that says about you and our relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the whole church said? Amen. Wow, how powerful, how beautiful. Okay, let's fill some blanks in. Let's get, let's get practical here. How do we meet God in nature? Now, some of you are really, really good at this. Uh, for instance, let me ask, how many of you in here are hunters? Raise your hand. Uh, raise it higher. Don't be ashamed. You're looking a little bit sad about it. Uh, it's a good thing. How many of you go, you love to hunt because you love to be in nature? Okay, so, same hands up. I, I think that, you know, that, that's what I always thought, seeing these guys who deer hunt for years and never kill anything. I think, what are they doing, you know? But now I understand. A lot of times it's because they want to be in nature. So some of you are already good at it. I mean, you get yourself. And I'm, I'm going to try to teach you a little bit this morning about how to go deeper. And some of us, we're not good at it. We live in this concrete jungle with this hectic lifestyle. And, and, and for me to go out and just purposely spend time in nature almost seems like a waste of time, which obviously we said today it's not. So, so how do we do this? Well, let me give you some really practical points this morning. Number one, plan and pray. For most of us in our busy schedule, we need to make a plan. When are we going to do it? How often are we going to do it? This, this is probably not a daily habit. It might be a weekly or monthly or quarterly, but make a plan of when you're going to escape and then have a prayer. In your copy of Lifelines today, there's a model prayer for you to pray as you're leaving your house to go into nature. Number two, look for a beautiful and peaceful place. 
Okay, and, and that's where you, you may have challenges. I mean, you know, it, they're, they're great places very close to us. Our ladies yesterday went to the Chihau Trail up on um, Lake Martin. I understand it was a gorgeous, gorgeous place. You know, you might go to um, Mount Chihau. I mean, one of the great things about Alabama is the old slogan said, Alabama has it all, from mountains to beaches. And, and we live within, go, go to Paul and Charlene Brandon and ask them about all the places you can go and walk and all the places you can encounter nature. We're not very far from Callaway Gardens, which is really beautiful. And then we're not real far just east of us, Chilaqua Park, is that it? What town is it close to? Opelika. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, we've got two beautiful lakes close by. Right here in our own city, there's beautiful parks like Shakespeare Festival. Many of our neighborhoods right now are in full bloom. Riverfront Park is a gorgeous place to go and just spend some alone time with God. You've probably got your place. But pick a place. It might be a place you consistently go because when you sit in that place, it immediately ties you back to God. And when you get there, number three, pray scripture or, or read scripture, excuse me. And I would, I would encourage you as you get started, there's nothing better to read in nature than Psalm 19. Just read that. And then number four, I may surprise you a little bit on this one, but take communion. Boy, that ties nature, scripture, and Jesus all together. You say, is it okay for me, buddy, to take communion? I listened to a man speak yesterday. said, the only time you can scripturally take communion is on Sunday. Listen, we have a great example that the church met on Sunday. And I'm convicted that every Sunday we ought to take communion. It's the center of our service. Amen? But we also have biblical example at the beginning of the church where they took communion every day. My friends, with Jesus, Jesus made it very plain. Here, here's how you take communion. Whenever you take it, do this what? In remembrance of me. You think God's going to get fed up that you went out and you took communion you thought about him? I, I don't believe that. Okay, so, so I've, I've never done this, but I'm going to challenge you to do this. Go out in nature, find some time, you know, steal some of our communion stuff. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cost us that much. Just take it with you and go spend some good time with the Lord. And then here's the most important thing. Listen and pray. I, mean, I love what the psalm says. There's no word, no noise, no sound, no voice, and God speaks. Isn't that crazy? Just go look up and let God speak. And when you pray, keep your eyes wide open. It's a beautiful thing. And then number six. Write something down. You, you may not be into journaling, but at least for that moment, just record what God is doing in your heart. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But for most of us, including myself, this would be quite a challenge. I'm going to have to prepare some time, plan some time away. Many of you with children, maybe you can do this with your children, or maybe you can find a way to be able to go out by yourself. But look for that time. It's like we said earlier in the message. When you encounter in nature, it's like no other encounter you have with God. There's something so extremely special about it. You know, so often I hear us all complaining, I just don't feel close to God. I understand that because I, I, I don't even know that you're supposed to feel close to God every moment, okay? Feelings come and go in any relationship. But we complain about that and yet here, again, I'm pointing to myself. 
here is one of the most wonderful, practical ways to be close to God is to go out in nature. So go do that. Now, I want you, as we close here today, I'd like you to go back with me to the 19th Psalm. And let's see how David closes this psalm because there's reaction to encountering God and nature and Scripture and Jesus. Go with me to Psalm 19. We're going to start, let's look first of all at verse 12. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. In view of the greatness and brilliance of God, David not only feels the heaviness of God, but he feels the heaviness of his own sin. He sees God as glorious and perfect. He sees himself as sinful. And so his, his reaction is, God, you know, please forgive me of the sin I don't even know about. We all have hidden sins. We all have things we do. You know, if you go into heavens based on your perfection, you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Because there's sometimes we sin and we don't even know we sinned. And then he tells us in verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent of great transgression. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. We were talking about how do you know you're saved? And how in the world could you lose your salvation? And I think this gives us a good clue. There's a difference in willful sins. When I just say, God, I know what you say. I don't care what you say. I do what I want to do. David consistently calls this the great transgression. It's different. Now, some of us are brought up on one strike and you're out. I was reading my quiet time the other day, that scary story of Nadab and Abihu. Remember that? Aaron's sons who offered the strange fire. And what happens? (laughs) Man, they're incinerated on the spot. Scared me to death. But no one has ever pointed me to four or five verses later. Two more of Aaron's sons disobey the command of God and don't eat the sacrifice. And you can tell Moses is scared to death. And yet they say, I'm sorry we didn't do that. We know that was the command. But we're so upset about our brothers dying, we just couldn't do it. And God spares them. You see, the great transgression is a rebellious, willful sin. And David says, keep me away from that. And then here's his heart. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's an awesome, awesome prayer. That might be one of those on-your-knees prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I memorized in the King James years ago. It's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. So here's what I want you to see. When, when, When you and I encounter the weightiness, the heaviness, the glory, the splendor, the love of God. It, it has full impact. See, that, that, I think that's what the word glory really is talking about. It, it, it's God's presence having full impact on you. And so I want to ask you this question as we conclude. Is your view of God this weighty? I think many of us, because 
First of all, our attitude towards sin shows it. We, we got a light view of God. We're not seeing his holiness. And therefore, I, you know, I'm okay with just living life my way. I'm okay with not being close to God. I'm okay, you know, with um, you know, not being caught up in worship. Listen to me. If you understand the full weightiness of God, you can't live that way. You can't have a light view of sin. You can't have a light view of living in the presence of God. You can't walk in this place with a light, let me just sit on my tail, view of worship. Sorry. I mean, it's a response. It's not what I think of you or you think of me. That has nothing to do with it. It's what you think of God. It's what I think of God. And it's my response to God. And when you get the full weightiness, power, greatness of God upon you, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, you respond. That's why we got to spend time with God, guys. Because that's what changes us. And so this morning, we're about to sing together. And if some reason, you've, been, you've had a, such a light view of God that, that you've got yourself trapped in some sins. And, and you just, you don't, you, you got to point now, God forbid, that you don't even think twice about it. And you need this church to pray for you about that this morning. We're going to do it in just a moment. Or if you are just now discovering Jesus and the incredibleness of Jesus is heavy on your heart. And you've decided the way you, you can't put up with living the way you've been living because it's rebellious against Jesus. You are living out the great sin. And today you want to follow Jesus. Why don't you come meet me up here and then we'll find a way to baptize you today and begin life all over again. So during this invitation, my friends, you're not responding to me. You're responding to a holy God who has gone to unbelievable lengths to reveal his holiness, his greatness, his glory to you. Because when you understand the glory of God, it leads you to humility, it leads you to repentance, and it leads you to worship. And so today, if you don't need to respond publicly up here, respond with your worship. Well, we're, we're about to sing a song that says everything I've been trying to say today. How great is our God? Respond right now as we stand and sing.